and make our way back to our seats. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, amen, for the reading of the word. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, amen, we're going to go to the book of John chapter 8, and verse for 1. John chapter 8, verse 1, amen, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen, we're thankful for everyone that's here, amen, we're delighted to, to see everybody in the house of the Lord, amen. I live on railway in Lathrop. That's my house and my home. But this place is also like home. Amen. You guys are like family. And uh, I'm thankful to be amongst the family of God in the house of the Lord. Amen. And uh, it's just good to be here and see everyone in God's house. Amen. You all are people that we pray for regularly. Amen. Think about often. Amen. And we are uh, we care about. And so I'm thankful to be with the family of God today. John chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. I got to interject a side note. Something very valuable about getting up early and praying. Amen. As you start your day, start it with prayer. Yeah. If you have struggles in your life, Amen. Get out in front of your struggle and start your day with prayer and ask the Lord to help you. This is what Jesus practiced. Amen. That's just a side note. The Bible says that all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman. You might even say dragged unto him a woman. Amen. They physically brought her. I guarantee it wasn't of her own accord. And there was more of dragging. They, they dragged unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, or they put her in the middle of the crowd, they made a, they made a spectacle of her. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. That's not get high. That is with stones, amen, being thrown and hurled at you to your death. They said that Moses' law said that she should be uh, killed by stoning. And then they said to him, but what sayest thou? They began to tempt him. And this is recorded in verse 6. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not, didn't pay them the attention that they were looking for. And so in the in the process of him stooping down and writing on the ground and, and they think he's ignoring them, they begin to latch on a little bit more. And they begin to heap on him questions and, and pepper with him with different questions. And so the Bible says... Uh, In verse number 7, so when they continued asking him, and they kept pressuring him, he lifted up himself and said unto the crowd of scribes and Pharisees, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And And they which heard it, being convicted, By their own conscience. Someone say convicted. 
being convicted by their own conscience. The chapter 8 started out with condemnation. But here, and that was the, the result of the scribes and Pharisees, was to condemn this woman to the death. Jesus' result, the response of him, was conviction. And they which heard it, verse 9, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. Some commentators have said as he stooped on the ground and began to write, he began to write the sins of everybody in the crowd that day. I don't know exactly. We can only speculate what it was, but it was something that brought conviction to each one of those people that were in the crowd that day. And the Bible says they went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Jesus, we come before you on this beautiful Sunday morning. We're thankful for your presence. We're thankful for the written word that we have in our hands today. We're thankful for the church of the living God. We're thankful, God, for the preaching of the word. We pray today, God, you would touch every heart, every life. We pray, God, that you would work in our lives today. God, have your way in this message this morning that you've given me, God. May it change us. May it transform us. May it help us today. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Hallelujah. One of the devil's biggest weapons in his bag of dirty tricks or his arsenal of weapons of choice is something that is called condemnation to condemn means to pronounce to be guilty to sentence to punishment or to pass judgment against something or someone satan is called the accuser of the brethren in the word of the lord he is like a prosecutor who finds the guilty he points the finger of blame at them and he accuses them of the guilt and he wants in every situation the death penalty. He wants their death. He wants to steal, the Bible says, to steal, kill, and to destroy. Amen. And the devil was at work in this situation, in this adulterous woman's life. He was trying to steal and to kill and to destroy her. Amen. Kill her physically and destroy her reputation and steal, amen, every last bit of desire to serve the Lord in her heart. Amen. It was his Sly tactic. This is the sly tactic of the enemy. First, he entices you and I to sin or to trespass against the law of God. And then when you and I do commit the sin, he jumps immediately on your back and he condemns He condemns the person for their lifestyle, for their sin. He condemns you for what you just did, for suggesting all, amen, that he told you to do. And this is how the enemy works many times. The word condemn also means to judge unfit for use or for service. 
For instance, the health department could step into a building that is uh, dilapidated, that is uh, not taken care of, and it's, uh, they can declare it unfit for occupancy. That's the enemy's goal with condemnation is to declare you and I unfit for use. But here from John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, I want to extrapolate a title for this message today. And it is this, trading condemnation for conviction. Trading condemnation for conviction. Hallelujah. Jesus uh, received the scribes and Pharisees bringing an adulterous woman to him one day. On this, uh, this, uh, this early morning as he was in the temple teaching the people. And here came, amen, uh, workers of iniquity, if you will. People that were condemning uh, people to sin, condemning them to death and, and trying to pronounce judgment upon them. And Jesus began working with a situation that was very, he was walking a very treacherous path as they asked him these questions about the law of Moses and what do you say and not uh, uh, written, recorded here in scripture, but understanding the background of uh, this time. It was a time of, of being ruled by the Romans and they were the ones that were in charge and they were the ones that would hold the court and, and they were the ones that would execute justice on, on those that had trespassed against their laws and they were putting Jesus in a precarious situation to see how he would respond, understanding the law of Moses and understanding how the Romans ruled in this particular day. They were trying him and they were laying a plan that they might have an occasion to accuse Jesus, amen, of usurping Roman authority or throwing aside Moses' law if he decided the case they expected to be able to bring an accusation against Jesus. For if he decided on one hand that the woman should die because of her sin, they might accuse him of claiming power which belonged to the Romans who had the power of life and death. They wanted to see if Jesus, they wanted to see if Jesus would decide her case judicious, judicially and without the authority of the Romans or form of trial. And if he decided otherwise, they would have alleged that he denied the authority of the law of Moses and that it was his intention to repeal and to throw away the law of Moses. So here Jesus is walking this, this precarious path. Amen. As these people try to put him into a position or put him into a box and, and try to get him to, to, to just do things the wrong way. And even though they knew his heart, they were trying to get him to, to fall into this precarious trap that they laid for him. And then they asked the question, what sayest thou? This inquiry uh, proposed by the scribes and the Pharisees involved an ascription to Jesus of the right of authoritatively interpreting the law, thus attributing to him the functions of a new legislator. Some have objected to the bare possibility of such an appeal being made to Jesus by any species of Jewish authority. But the whole context shows that the process that they were putting him through was malicious. It was crafty and it was ironical. Amen. They were trying to tempt Jesus and ask him, Amen. Uh, this woman committed sin. How or should we approach this? And if he would answer, amen, to, uh, to stone her, or if he would answer to let her go, he was in a trap and he would fall either way. 
Uh, let me just lay a little bit of a foundation here this morning. In the punishment by death that the scribes and Pharisees alluded to, the law of Moses required that if somebody was caught in the act of adultery, she should be stoned to death. She should be stoned to death. And the witness, the eyewitness account, should be the first person to throw the stone, amen, to initiate the execution of the accused, of the perpetrator. And the Bible says, it's in Deuteronomy 17, uh, several verses there in the chapter, that in the punishment by death, one of the witnesses would throw the perpetrator from a high point, and another would throw the first stone or roll down a stone to crush the, the accused. This was in order that the witness might feel his responsibility in giving the evidence. So you see, if somebody is to say, I'm a witness and I saw this person commit a sin, they would put them to the test and they would say, okay, since you saw the sin, you're going to be the one to throw the first stone, knowing that everybody else is going to finish the job, but you have it upon your conscience that you killed a woman. And so there's things built into the law of Moses, amen, to try to eradicate people that will lie, try to weed out people that would make up false accusations. And so Jesus uh, uh, this was in order that the witness might feel his responsibility in giving evidence as he also was to be the executioner. Jesus, therefore, understanding all of these things, understanding how the Romans had the rule, understand how Moses had the law, and understand how the law of Moses worked and how it would be enacted and how it would uh, go forward in such a situation. He understood that somebody was going to throw the first stone. So Jesus, therefore, turns the tables. He, he turns everything around and he puts them to the test. And here's, here is a very uh, a beautiful stroke of wisdom in Jesus' earthly ministry. Without pronouncing upon her case that was presented to him uh, on, the temples, uh, on the temple steps, they had accused her, but they had not proceeded to the act expressive of judicial condemnation. Amen. And so Jesus begins to turn the tables on them. And he says, whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then he steps and he begins to write onto the ground. He begins to tell, tell people different things. And it would be things that only those people would be able to identify. Perhaps it was a secret sin that only, uh, let me make an example. That only, to, to, perhaps it was a secret sin that only Noah Hall knew about. And he began to write, here's what you did last Friday night. Right. He began to say, I, I saw what you did, Brother Nate, on Thursday night. I'm writing that down. Everybody said, oh, my Lord. Come on. Oh, boy. Come on. He's going to get to my thing next. And everybody's watching when he's right on the ground. I don't know exactly how it took place. Amen. Exactly what he wrote upon the ground. Commentators can only speculate. But this passage teaches us several points is that Jesus claimed no civil authority. In fact, Christ, Jesus Christ refused to act the part of the civil magistrate. Amen. See, he just left that to somebody else. I'm not going to get involved in civil authority. And the second thing is that he regarded the action of which they accused her as sin. And we're not going to make any bones about it today. Amen. The act of adultery, Jesus said it in his word, it was sin. It was sin. It was something that trespassed the laws of God. 
It was something, amen, that it, 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 it was self-will expressed uh, in an earthly manner, amen, that trespassed the laws of God. Her act of adultery was sin, and Jesus made no bones about it. Amen. Jesus did not sugarcoat it. He said, yes, it's sin what you did. Amen. But instead of me condemning you to death, I'm going to offer you conviction that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Let me tell you today, the world and mankind will try to condemn people and say, look at the sin in your past. You deserve to die. Jesus looks at the same sin and says, give it to me. Let me wash you with my blood. Let me give you a new start. Let me offer you a new way. Don't live in your sin no more. Come out in your sin. And let me help you today. He regarded the action of this of this woman accused of her. He regarded his sin. The third thing was that he knew the hearts and the lives of each man and person, woman, whoever it was, and the scribes and Pharisees that came to him. Everybody that was there that day, he knew their heart. He knew exactly the things that was in their heart. And he would tell them, these are the problems you're having. These are the struggles you're having. I know exactly what you're dealing with. I know exactly the thing that condemns you and beats you up. Amen. And I, I, I know it. Amen. I can write it on the ground. I can put it. I can spell it up for everybody to see. I, I understand exactly what's happening. I know the hearts and the lives of the people here. And here today in this sanctuary in abundant life, sitting on this Sunday morning in April, God knows your heart. He knows mine. He knows our thoughts. He knows the intents of our heart. He understands what you're going through. He knows the thoughts passing through your mind. He knows the things that you have in your heart. He's very much aware of what you're dealing with. He knows the issues and the struggles you and I have today. Because we see this in Scripture. Fourth thing that we see from this passage that it teaches us is that the men here represented are often very zealous in accusing others of that which they themselves are guilty. Here's a profound fact in life. I've seen it, amen, in the last several years more than ever before. People will oftentimes accuse you of things they are guilty of themselves. To try to distract from their sin. To try to to try to uh, distract from their own problems. And, and they'll try to reflect it onto somebody else. And they'll say, you're a lying, filthy, no good scumbag, whatever else. Because they know, in fact, in their hearts, they are what they are accusing you of. And these men that came to Jesus began to accuse her. They began to accuse her of all, of all sorts of things. And they, they wanted her to die. But they were guilty in themselves of the very same things that they were accusing somebody else of. Hallelujah. I'm thankful to God that He knows my heart. He knows the path that I take, the way that I take. He knows my life. And I'm committing my life to Him today. You ain't got to answer everything that somebody accuses you of. You ain't got to even oftentimes defend yourself every time somebody accuses you of things in life. Hallelujah. But you can go forward. You can take steps of faith. Knowing that with a clear, clean conscience, I'm a child of God walking by faith. I ain't got to defend myself against every accusation. Jesus did try to defend the woman of the sin of adultery. But he made a path forward. He said, here's how you ought to walk. Now that I've delivered you from the condemners. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. And finally, Jesus was endowed with wonderful wisdom in meeting the devices of his enemies and eluding the deep laid plans to involve him in ruin. The devil may have thought he had you. The devil would like to see you destroyed. Sometimes it's hard to figure out what the will of God is for our lives. It's not hard to figure out the will of the devil is. Not ever, not now, not ever. I'll tell you what the will of the devil is for your life. First off, it's for Sunday morning you to stay home from church. Second of all, it's the will of the devil for you not to pray every day. You want to know how to please the devil? Stop coming to church. Stop praying. Stop reading your Bible. Stop opening your heart to the to the preaching of the word of the Lord. How to do the will of the devil? Throw your Bible away. Let it collect dust. But how to do the will of God? You've got to have a word from the Lord for your life. And God took the, the plans that the condemners of the scribes and Pharisees brought to Jesus. He, he, turned the, he took the plans that they had and he turned it everything around on the enemy. And he said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. Amen. It is today and it always will be in this place. This will be a place of reconciliation. This will not be a place where we sugarcoat sin. Hallelujah. But this will always be a place where we call sin, sin. Sin is what it is. But sin doesn't have to stop you. God can deliver you from sin. God can turn your life all the way around. It can make you brand new again. You don't have to live in sin. You can live in victory. As God sets you free from your lifestyle. He never leaves us the way that He finds us. He never leaves us the way that He finds us. He found this woman in the air in the very act of sin, an adultery, sinful woman. And when when He left her life, He he left her free of the condemnation with the conviction that I'm going to go forward and I'm going to live for God. Friend, if you're here today, you've got a purpose in your heart. When I get up out of the altar following this preaching today, I'm going to make a choice that says I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to turn my back on the world. I'm going to stop my sinning. I'm going to stop doing the things I did behind closed doors. And I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to sin no more. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus lifted the discussion, amen, from the judicial arguing to one of morality. He refused to engage in the judicial system of the day in which they lived. And he elevated the discussion to one of morality. Hallelujah. In other words, civil laws will come and go. And man will change them. And they'll enact them. And then they'll repeal them. And then they'll amend them. And laws are always changing. God operates on a steadfast platform that is the Word of God. And it never changes. He never changes. He never changes. He never changes. So here today in 2021, the United States Congress can enact new laws. But if it ever goes against my Bible, amen, this Bible is precedent. This Word of God is precedent. This is the highest law. Jesus understood the highest law is the Word of God. 
look, if God calls it sin, brother, it's still sin. If God calls it sin, it's still sin. And whatever the world signifies, if God condemns it, then you need to understand it's not okay to engage in the things that the world says is okay. If the book says it's not okay. This book right here is not a good way. This is the only way. This is not just a good book. This is the book. Hallelujah. This is not just the writings of a good teacher. This is the writings of the Word of God, the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And I want to please Him. I want to please Him. I want to please Him. Hallelujah. God's operating on a higher law. Doesn't matter if society makes laws to condemn sin or to condone sin. It matters what the Word of God says. And this doesn't just hit the outright sinner. I think it's in the book of James. It says, He that knoweth to do right and doeth it not to him that is sin. That's why every day we got to live a repentant life. Say, God, search my heart. Search my mind, God. If there's things in me that, I, that I, I'm doing that are wrong, God, you got to bring them to my mind. You've got to help me to overcome them. I don't want to live in shit. I don't want to engage in sinful activities. I want to please the Lord. I want to please the Lord, and I believe that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, ye shall receive power. Amen. Power, the ability to overcome. It is the paraclete or the one that comes alongside you and helps you to overcome and to go forward. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. These scribes and these Pharisees were full of pride and arrogance. The real issue of the heart of the scribes and Pharisees, if you study your Bible and read through the Gospels, it was one of pride and arrogance. When these people fasted and prayed, they told everybody about it. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They went to the public square and they mourned and they, they let everybody know, hey, I'm fasting. It's hard, Brother Nathan. Hey, Brother Paul, I'm fasting. Man, I'm having a hard time. Hey, Sister Christine, I've been fasting. I'm having a hard time. Hey, Sister Alice, I've been fasting. Everybody knows you're fasting. Pride and arrogance. That's a problem that these people have. Yeah. It was pride and arrogance. And in this specific situation, amen, they are trying again to display their own purity by taking part in the execution of the adulteress. These people were highly insecure. One of the uh, notable characteristics of people that are insecure is to put others down in order to lift them up. And this is exactly what these insecure scribes and Pharisees were doing. They were trying to crush her under the weight of her guilty conscience. Amen. They were trying to crush her and trying to kill her and trying to destroy her because they thought that in doing so they would lift them up themselves up and say, well, you know, I haven't been, I haven't been sinning. Uh, I'll never commit adultery. No, sir. No, I fast and I pray. You all know about that because I tell you all about it. In fact, I give my alms and I make sure you all see it too. I hold my thousand dollar bills. I walk to the 
to the plate every Sunday. Come on. I want you to see that. This is the pride and arrogance of these scribes and Pharisees. They would put others down to lift themselves up. But Jesus read through all that. Some of you are here today and maybe you're feeling the guilty conscience. I don't ever want it to be one that drives you away from church or away from God. But I want it to be something that says, God, you've got to help me, Jesus. I'm struggling, God. I need your help today. I need a brother or sister in the church to help me pray. I need you to fill me with the Holy Ghost again. Because if I get the Holy Ghost again on Sunday morning, my Mondays are going to be better. If I can show up to Monday night prayer, I know my Tuesdays will be better. And then I can get back to church on Wednesday and I get full of Holy Ghost again. And Thursday will be a little bit better. If if I'll pray a little bit on Thursday and I'll talk to God, my Fridays will be better. And I'll get through this life and I'll overcome. And I'll I'll have a testimony of the overcoming power of God. And I won't let the world try to condemn me in my past condemn me and my friends condemn me and my family condemn me but I'll let your spirit convict me in my sin and lift me out of this miry clay lift me out of this pit of sin if you're struggling with sin today let me tell you Jesus blood can wash you it can make you clean if you're you're mired in the pit of sin he will lift you out of your sin he will set you free and you will be able to live your life with a clear conscience. I'm a child of God. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of God. I've been washed in the blood, sanctified the Spirit. Amen. God purchased me with this blood. I'm a child of God. I don't live with the condemnation of my past. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The result of condemnation is death. Some people deal with depression, anxiety, fear. It's a result, oftentimes, of condemnation. You loser. You failure. You hypocrite. You blah, 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 blah. How could you? And you go, oh, oh, where's that dark cloud I can sit under? Where can I move it? Wine. Woe is me. Oh. I'm a loser. Oh, man. I made bad mistakes. I'll never be able to take it back. Oh. That sin was too heavy for me to bear. Oh, man. Oh. And you struggle with these things because you're allowing the enemy to condemn you. Right. And say, that's right. You are a failure. That's right. You can't make it. You can't live for God. That's right. Your daddy was an alcoholic. You're going to be an alcoholic. That's right. Amen. Whatever it was the sin of your parents is going to be your sin. And the devil will beat you up with your past. And, and look at what you did. You'll never be able to take it back. You know what you need to say to the devil? That's my past, devil. I've been washed in the blood. Amen. He don't remember it no more. So I'm not going to remember it no more. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to go forward. God's going to I begin to trade the worldly condemnation for a Holy Ghost condemnation.
God in prayer and I say, God, I know that you're able to wash away all my sins. I know that you're faithful to see me through. And I know, God, that you've got your hand on my life. Devil, that's my past. It ain't my future. And it will not be my present. Because by the grace of God, I will go forward in Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Someone shall praise the Lord. Hallelujah. When chapter 8's discourse and confrontation with the scribes and Pharisees was all said and done, and I'm quickly coming to a close, when this discourse, if you read the Bible, you read it through John chapter 8 to the very last verse in this chapter, when it's all said and done, the same stones that they were ready to stone the adulterous woman with were now being attempted to be hurled at the same Jesus that delivered her from her accusers. Hallelujah. They were willing to throw the stones at the adulterous woman in the beginning. And when it's all said and done, Jesus was fixing to take the punishment. Because he made the statement that before Abraham was, I am. Amen. It was the I am that I am. The great I am. This was Jesus in this specific situation, scenario again, alluding back to Wednesday night's Bible study. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. In other words, I'm not the second person of a triune Godhead. I am the Father. I am the Son. And I am the Holy Ghost. Amen. From the beginning of time to the end of time. From the first to the last. Alpha and Omega. Everything from A to Z. He said, I am that I am. And God transcended every earthly concoction. He went above everything that they tried to mess him with and trip him up with. He ascended a little higher. Hallelujah. There was an ironical statement made in politics sometime in the last several years. I say ironic because it was not... It was not honest. The statement was made, when they go low, we go high. And I observed, man, when they go low, as you call it low, you are going lower. But that's just my own personal thing. We'll leave that to the side. But the statement, when they go low, we go high. Jesus actually embodied that. They, They went low. They said, we were sneaking around the house. And we saw it happen. That's low. Right. He went high. He didn't involve himself in civil legislation. He didn't involve himself in Roman authority. Moses law, he began to talk about something higher. He said, I'm the he said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. In the act of writing on the ground, Jesus was not trying to condemn them like they were condemning the adulterous woman. And here, if you stand with me as the music begins to play, I want to make my final descent, if you will. In this act of writing on the ground, I began thinking about this story a little bit more, and I thought, man, it seemed on the surface, they're, they're proverbially throwing stones at her. And he throws stones back at them. <clears throat> That's not the case. Jesus was not trying to, con- to, to condemn them. 
Like they were condemning the adulterous woman. He wasn't trying to condemn them. In fact, it was the opposite. He was allowing them to be confronted with their own sin. So that they could see their shortfall and see how he makes up the gap. Today in this place, somebody is saying, man, he's hitting me. He's hitting me. He knows. God knows everything. But God will allow you to be confronted with the sins in your life. Not so you'll run away. I say, man, that church makes me feel bad every time I go. But so that you can see it and say, man, I need God. I really need Him. If I look back on my life, it's been a pattern of ups and downs and failures and in and outs and back and forth and this and that. But I need him. Mama was this way. Daddy was this way. Grandma, grandpa was this way. I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same situation. The scribes and Pharisees came condemning the adulterous woman to death by stoning. But Jesus' words, if you read chapter 8, verse number 9, he brought conviction. You say, well, you What is the difference between conviction and condemnation? Condemnation is from the devil. Conviction is from the Lord. Condemnation drives one to despair or to give up. Conviction leads to repentance. Condemnation tells you to quit. Just stop going to church. Just stop trying. Conviction inspires you to keep striving. I believe with God's help I can make it. Condemnation says there's no hope for you. You're a hopeless, lost cause. Amen. But conviction says God will help you. God will help you. God will help me. That's the difference. Condemnation only shows you the problem of adultery. Conviction shows you the answer. Amen. Help through God's plan. And the overcoming power to be victorious and sin no more. Condemnation says you'll never change. You'll always be this way. Amen. But conviction will help you to change. It was conviction that drove Peter to repentance. But it was condemnation that drove Judas Iscariot to suicide. They both failed God miserably and committed similar sins of betraying the Lord. But Peter cursed. Peter cursed and denied Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Amen. The the price of a slave. Judas could have been forgiven and restored if he had repented. Perhaps this is why Jesus, when he met Judas in the garden, called him friend. He said, friend, what are you going to do but train with a kiss? He was reaching out a hand. In other words, saying, you know what? I know you're going to mess up. But when you do, Judas, I want you coming back. Don't hang yourself on the tree. Don't let condemnation have its way in your life. Let conviction work. Let conviction work. Instead, Judas listened to the voice of condemnation and was doomed, according to Matthew 27, 3-5. But Peter was restored. 
Peter was reinstated. And about 54 days later, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Amen. And 3,000 souls were saved because one yielded themselves to conviction and another yielded themselves to condemnation. If you're here today and sin is condemning you, God said, I want to trade your condemnation for my conviction. I want to draw you back to a place that you know you ought to be. I want to help somebody today. Condemnation screams. Condemnation screams. You're nothing but a hypocrite. You've failed too many times. God will never forgive you. You're a disgrace. You might as well quit praying and go to church. You're unworthy. Go ahead and indulge in sin. Why don't you just give up and end it all? God will never use you. But conviction says, Ah, I'm going to help somebody today. Yes, what you've been doing is wrong. But God wants to make a way out of escape. God wants to help you to overcome. Amen. The oppression, the depression, the lifestyle you've been living, the things you've been doing when nobody's watching. Amen. Living and talking and doing things that you know are not pleasing before the Lord. Come on. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. Amen. I want God to be able to speak to somebody today. Come on. I want you to lift up your heads. Come on. Jesus. Somebody take a few moments and just call on the name of Jesus. Would you lift up your hands? Would you lift up your voice? Would you lift up your heart? God is here today to make a way for somebody that's been bound in their sin for far too long. Jesus is here today. He's confronted you with sin. And He said, baby, honey, friend, I want to help you. I want to help you. You don't have to live this way no more. You don't have to live this way no more. Come on. Come on. The past, let the past be the past. Come on, let the past be the past. Whatever's happened in my marriage, whatever's happened with my kids, whatever's happened with my boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever's happened with my drug addiction, with my alcoholism, whatever's happened in the past, I'm determined it will be my past. It will not live in my present. And it certainly won't be a part of my future. Come on. Come on. Somebody's going to get deliverance this morning. I need some Holy Ghost healed men of God to help me pray right now throughout this sanctuary. Brother Paul, Brother Nathan, I want you to help me pray. Help us pray. Brother Terrence, help me pray. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you're saying, I, I believe God's helped me to move past some things. I believe God is helping me right now. I just trust wherever you're at today. Wherever you're at today. Jesus, I want you to help me. Jesus, I want you to help me.